and they can head downstairs for children's ministry. All right, so uh, before I get into the actual teaching from Nehemiah, I want to give you a little bit of an update that is somewhat pertinent to what we've been studying in Nehemiah. Um, We have been making a little bit of a push as a church to get involved in our neighborhoods, specifically in the civic associations in our neighborhood. So I want to give you a really brief update of how that is going, because our church now has people represented in the Taconi, Wissanoming, Holmesburg, and Mayfair Civic Associations. Those are four different groups. And we have people in all of them. So I want to give you a really brief update. Uh, Jason Davis, who's somewhere, he was some areas way in the back. Jason Davis, and I think Greg Diaz. Is there anyone else that's in the Taconi Civic Association? Okay, Jason Davis and Greg Diaz, both of whom attend the Tyson Ave campus and live in Taconi. Are, at the, uh, are in the Taconi Civic Association and represent us at their monthly meetings, which I'm so thrilled about. Uh, every time I think of Taconi, I see, in my head I see Taco New York. That was funnier. Really, you're clapping when we're broke, but you can't even laugh at a joke about tacos. All right, fine. Uh, so there at the Taconi Civic Association, Susan Spina represents us in the Holmesburg Civic Association. Susan, if you want to raise your hand real quick. Susan lives in Holmesburg, and uh, recently the Holmesburg Civic Association planned a par- uh, like a street cleanup right on Edmond Street. We haven't done it yet. It's on June 6th, and our church is going to provide about 18 people approximately to help with that. And their, their response to that was overwhelmingly positive. Right, Susan? Yeah, very positive. So we're thrilled that we can be a part of that. Um, All right, so I'm going to repeat that for everybody that didn't hear. They said that we were a friend to them, that if we ever need anything, that that we should keep them in mind and that someday they will owe us a favor. Um, I'll keep that in mind if my... If I ever get locked up or something, uh, again. Uh, so, and then uh, the Wissanoming Civic Association. I, it, it made me so happy. Uh, one day I, I saw the Wissanoming Civic Association posted a picture on Facebook, and the front row was all full of people from Truvine. I was so happy to see that. Pastor Luis is part of that. Angela Massey is part of that. Uh, there might be others that I'm unaware of. Uh, you're part of it too. Okay, great. Uh, I forget. Okay, yeah, Joe, Joe, right? Yeah, so we have multiple people from our church in the Wissanoming Civic Association, which is, I'm just so happy to see that. Um, and we're getting uh, involved with that. And then I'm, on the Mayf- I'm in the Mayfair Civic Association. I'll tell you a little bit about why I think that's important. Um, Last month at our civic association meeting, we had to vote on zoning issues, and one of the things that we were voting on was whether a psychic could open up shop on Frankfurt Ave. And I felt privileged that I got an opportunity as a pastor, and I'm, you know, just so you don't know, I don't want psychics opening up shops in my neighborhood. Uh, I got an opportunity to speak into that decision. We actually didn't vote because there were some zoning issues, but essentially it came down to, no, you cannot open up on Frankfurt Ave. And so I am glad that I got a chance to speak into that and, and would have voted if we'd had a vote. 
Next month, we'll vote about whether a church can open up on Frankfurt Ave. So I love that I get to vote on those kind of things, and I get to speak into those kind of things. So I say that to encourage you that those civic associations are important. And not all of you are going to be involved in them, and that's fine. We don't need everybody to be involved. But we need representation in the ones that, that, that affect our neighborhood where we've been assigned. So right now we, we have Mayfair, Holmesburg, Taconi, and Wissanoming. All, uh, we have people in all of those. So I, I just want to challenge you to consider joining yours. Um, it's, it's usually something like $10 a year. If you can't afford that, we'll pay for it. But you've got to go to all the meetings. If we pay for it, you've got to go to all the meetings and act right. Don't wear your True Vine shirt and start cussing and, and stuff like that. Wear some other church's shirt. Don't wear ours. All right. Let me pray for us, and then we want to get into Nehemiah 3. Father, we love you, and we love your word, and we value the living and active word of God, and we submit ourselves to it. And we know that it does not limit you or restrain you, but that it reveals you. And I pray for revelation, Jesus, today, as, uh, as I get the opportunity to teach and preach. And I pray that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right. So we've been in Nehemiah for about a month now, and we're going through the whole book. It's going to take us until September 20th to finish the book of Nehemiah. We're spending about two weeks per chapter on average. So today I'll be in Nehemiah 3. Uh, next week, Chris Cook will also be in Nehemiah 3. We'll take a week off after that. Scott Newcomer is going to do our financial, uh, biblical finance sermon at the end of the month. I shouldn't have told you that. You should still come. Uh, just because it's about money doesn't mean you shouldn't be here. And, uh, but we've been in Nehemiah 3, or we are in Nehemiah 3 today. So let me really quickly review Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a man who was in exile, meaning he, he was essentially kind of taken from his home, and he was serving King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, as his cup-bearer. Everybody say cup-bearer. All right, now you got your Luis fix. Uh, the cup-bearer's job was to give the beverages to the king, and not only to give them, but to test them. So if anyone was trying to poison the king, Nehemiah had to test this first. So three times a day, at least, Nehemiah's life was on the line as he was testing the king's wine to see if it had been poisoned. So Nehemiah's serving as the king's cupbearer for a period of time. When Nehemiah gets word from some of his relatives that the town his family is from, which is Jerusalem, it's just been completely decimated and destroyed. The, the walls are destroyed. The gates are burnt down. Not too many people living there. Like his town that he's from, although he probably didn't grow up there, uh, was just completely destroyed. And his heart breaks. He responds by, uh, ha he has to actually sit down. He fasts. He prays. And he asks the Lord to intervene. And then we see in chapter 2 that he goes to the king and asks the king to pay for him to go fix up Jerusalem. He asked essentially for a 12-year leave of absence and for the king to give him permission to gather wood and other resources to go rebuild the city. And amazingly, the king says yes. So Nehemiah goes on, the, it's about a two-month journey from Susa, which is where he was, to Jerusalem. It's about a two-month journey. It's a long trip. I wonder what those two months were like. 
as you're going. So he, gets, he takes this two-month journey, and at the end of chapter 2, he's inspecting the walls of the city. He's checking them out to see what kind of repairs are going to need to be made. And then we get to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is really important. Now, if you read chapter 3, it reads almost like a genealogy, because it's just a name, and then another name, and then another name, and another name. But I think genealogies are important, and I think this chapter is important. Because we have said for a month, we're studying Nehemiah. Nehemiah rebuilt, rebuilt the city. Nehemiah this. Nehemiah that. But in chapter 3, we find out it wasn't just Nehemiah that built Jerusalem. Chapter 3 is Nehemiah giving credit where credit is due to all the other people that perform the work of rebuilding the city. And he says, this person rebuilt this, and this person rebuilt that, and this person rebuilt here. And Nehemiah, as every good leader does, gives credit where credit is due. So you don't read Nehemiah and just think it was Nehemiah by himself. You see all the other people that participated in the rebuilding of a city. And the truth is, the rebuilding of a city is more than a one-man job anyway. And Nehemiah is giving credit where credit is due. It would be kind of like if we wrote a book about our church and there was a chapter that said this, Miss Ruth rebuilt the hospitality committee in the children's ministry. Dan and Rebecca McCurdy built up the worship team. Freddie and Billa built up worship, creative arts, and children's ministry. Daryl and Ruth Ann built up the facilities and children's ministry. Angela Massey built up the finances, leadership team, oversight, and children's ministry. There's a theme with children's ministry here. Scott and May Newcomer built the worship and leadership teams. Kervin, Naziha, and Miss Margaret built up facilities, children, hospitality, and leadership. Barb Haggerty built the facilities and children's ministry. Lonnie built the hospitality and children's ministry. Brett and Kate Shivers built the finances, leadership, and children's teams. Jason and Becky Davis built the teaching, children, and worship teams. Susan Spina built the children and creative arts ministries. Maribel built up the hospitality team. Ruby built up the worship and children's ministries. Shay and Abby Akinaso built up the leadership, children, finances, and worship team. Anna Wakeman built up the prayer, children, and creative arts ministries. Gary and Allie built up the worship, prayer, youth, and teaching teams. Jeribel built up the hospitality teams. And I could go on and on and on naming people that have built up and contributed to the building of this community and this church. And I didn't list everybody that I could have listed. I left people off and missed people. And I can't, I mean, I can't. Sorry if I left you out. Basically is what I'm saying. Sorry. I didn't do it. I'm not, don't take it personally. I'm trying to be nice. But it would be like if we had a chapter in our church history dedicated to the names of the people that built up specific areas of the life of the church. And Nehemiah, when he writes this chapter, is not trying to bore us. He's trying to give honor to the people that put in the work and put in the effort to build up the city and the walls of the city. And that's important because this was not a one-man job. 
Nehemiah had the initial idea that he received from the Lord, and, and he went with it. He had the vision. He procured the resources, but he did not do all the work. You know, a, a movement starts with one person, but a movement has to add people to it, or else it's not a movement. What would have happened if Nehemiah had been taken out? Say he's standing too close to the, the corner and gets hit by a septa bus. What would have happened if Nehemiah had been doing all the work himself and been taken out? End of the movement, right? And then you've got to wait another generation or two before God raises someone else up. Movements start with one man, but they don't, they don't remain that way. And if it is only one man, then that's not a movement. It's a guy with an idea. But over time, that one person who has the vision or the idea, it has to multiply or else it is not a movement. It can't stay with one person. One man is not a movement. One man cannot rebuild a city. They can start the process. Here's what one man can do. Get another one. And then another one. And then those three are better off than the one. Even Jesus, this might stretch you a little bit. Even Jesus came to the point in his ministry where he said, it'd be better if I left and the Holy Spirit came for you. Even Jesus in his humanity had limited capabilities. And that's what we understand from Philippians 2 is that he limited himself. Even Jesus had to say, listen, it would, it's better for you that I leave. So that the Holy Spirit comes. And when Jesus was crucified, there was the, the remnant of a movement still intact. And then, of course, we know he was raised from the dead for three days later. And then he spent uh, 40 days with, with the disciples, kind of giving them a swift kick. And then, but eventually Jesus was ascended. And it wasn't until Jesus ascended and was gone for 10 days that Pentecost took place. And the movement that Jesus started has been carried on by the people that Jesus recruited. So a movement can start with one man, but it cannot remain with one man. I want to look at, in particular, uh, I think there's six verses. Uh, chapter 3 is a long chapter. And I think if I read the whole chapter, you would have a hard time following it. So I have six verses in particular that I want to draw your attention to. If you can go to the next slide for me. Okay. Uh, these are verses 10, 17, 23, and then I think 28 through 30. Let me just read them here. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Harumaf, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him... Hashabiah, the official of half the district of Keilah, carried out repairs for his district. After them, Benjamin and Hashub carried out repairs in front of their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, carried out repairs beside his house. Next, Above the horse gate, the priests carried out repairs, each in front of his house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emmer, carried out repairs in front of his house. And after him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, carried out repairs. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaph, repaired another section. 
After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, carried out repairs in front of his own quarters. If you've never spoken in tongues, just read this passage real fast. It'll get you jump-started. Um, so I think that's six different verses that I want to focus on this morning. Yeah, thank you. It says that Jediah made repairs opposite his house. Hashabiah made repairs for his district. Benjamin and Hashub made repairs in front of their house. And it goes on, and I hope you're picking up the theme here, that not all, but many of them made repairs right where they lived. Well, this is not complicated, but why do you think Nehemiah told them, hey, Fix the wall by your house. See, I think Nehemiah told him to do that because I'm going to make sure the wall near my house is done really well. Right? If the wall near my house is done poorly, I'm going to be the one that suffers for that. I think, again, Nehemiah, I think, was a great leader, and he said, hmm, where is Jediah going to have the most interest Where is he going to pour his heart out? Where is he going to do the best job? Probably the wall right next to his house. And if everybody just did a good job building the wall next to their house, we'd have a really good wall. Right? Because if you're building the wall across town, you might skimp a little bit. But if you're building the wall where you live, and I'm not talking about some little stud wall that separates your laundry room from the rest of your basement. I'm talking about the wall that keeps the enemies out. A big old stone wall. Their lives were on the line. And I don't think it's selfish when Nehemiah tells them to rebuild the wall next to your house. Rebuild in your district. Rebuild the wall where you live. Because he got their best efforts when he asked them to do that. Do you understand? I don't think that's too complicated. This idea of building where you live. To me, this is not selfishness. This is ownership. This is the people of Israel taking ownership to rebuild their city. Nehemiah never even lived in Jerusalem. Now, his family was from there. That's where his roots were. But he most likely never even lived in Jerusalem. In fact, we don't know that he'd ever even been to Jerusalem. So he had some level of sentimentality for Jerusalem. This is where my fathers are buried, he said. But he probably didn't live there. So the vision he had, he had to encourage the whole city to take ownership of. And I got to say, Nehemiah is nicer than I am. If Nehemiah, I'll tell you what would have happened if I was Nehemiah. First of all, I'd have drank all that king's wine up. I'd have been fired after a week. If I'd have showed up to a burn up, torn down city that I didn't even live in, I'd have been like, what are you all doing? Why is Nehemiah more invested in this than the residents of the city? 
So he does not remain in that, and he, he trains them up, prepares them, and gives them the opportunity to rebuild the city where they live. I'd have been fired if I was Nehemiah. And he does a great job at it because he gets them to, to take ownership of their own town and he says, start where you live. Start where you live. Rebuild the wall outside of your house. And don't let, well, he doesn't say this, but in my mind I hear him say, and don't let your wall be the one that goes down if we ever get attacked. Don't let your house be the one all the enemies come through and invade the whole city. You better build that good. And he gives them the resources, and, and they do it. And I think this is, this is so important. I doubt any of them skimped. I doubt that any of them took a half-hearted approach to rebuilding the wall because they were building where they lived. So, we don't have city walls anymore. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you drive in and out of Philadelphia, there's not really walls. You don't have to go through a gate or anything. But what does it mean for us to rebuild where we live? I think this is one thing it means is family first. Focus on your household. Before you go telling someone else, oh, you could use a little help on that wall when your wall's crumbling. Start with your family. Minister there. Now, I'm not saying that your family has to be perfect. I mean, my daughter hits me. I get abused by an 18-month-old. Okay, you, your family does not have to be perfect. I'm not saying that everything has to be lined up just so, so nicely because you don't have control over that. But what I am saying is a major part of your effort and prayer needs to go into your family. And when a major part of your effort and prayer goes into your family, then begin to pour into other families. But don't leapfrog your household to go help someone else rebuild theirs. Do you understand? I mean, the scariest thing I've ever heard a contractor say is, this is my first time doing this. What? You don't know what you're doing in my house? I want to know that this dude knows how to put something together. So what does it mean to rebuild where we live? I think it means give a high amount of devotion and effort to building the kingdom in your family. And again, I know we don't have control over how people respond, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm not saying it has to be perfect. I'm just saying your, your effort should be focused in that direction. Do you understand? I don't want anyone to go home saying, I, I can't do anything until my whole family sings hymns. Okay, you're not going to get there, and I wouldn't even recommend that. But I'm just saying that don't leapfrog it. Don't ignore it. Don't, don't ignore your family so that you can take care of someone else's. What does it mean to rebuild where you live? I think it also means serve in your church. I mean, you're all here today, so I'm going to pretend that this is your church, but be involved in your church. Serve. Lead, give, pray. You know, we've been assigned a specific portion of the wall, metaphorically. We need to build this portion of the wall. Thirdly, serve in your community. 
Now, I know we don't all live in the same exact neighborhood, but I think generally we're all, we're all in the Philadelphia region, right? We got some people from, from Jersey, uh, but we're all in the, either in the city or the immediate suburbs. Uh, we do have one crazy family that drives from Reading or Allentown, but they're moving here. Uh, that's the McCurdy's. Uh, but rebuild where you live, right? You don't always have to go to Kensington to do ministry. The Wawa I go to in Mayfair has a homeless guy right out front of it. I can help him. I'm not saying don't go to Kensington to do ministry. Do that. And we will. And as a church, we will. But don't ignore your neighborhood in favor of another. You know? Does that make sense? Oh, okay. Good. So I, and then I'm going to, after that, kind of leave it open for you to ask the Lord, what does it mean to rebuild where I live? To build a wall next to my house, what does that mean? Because I think they're probably, he could give you a more succinct and specific assignment that you have. What does it mean to build where you live? To build a wall that's right outside your house. To build a wall that's on the back of your house to prevent the enemy from getting in. What does it mean to do that for you? Now, I want to share, again, I thought I'd be preaching this sermon twice at two different places. So I want to share something I think the Lord gave me. Specific stuff for each campus. So first, uh, let me get the attention of everybody at the Wissanoming campus. Raise your hand real quick if the Wissanoming campus is your, the campus that you're a part of. All right. Good. Well, that was just a test to make sure you knew. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not keeping track or anything. Now, I know that not all of you that attend here in Wissanoming necessarily live in Wissanoming. That's fine. But nonetheless, you're... Your church is centralized in this neighborhood. You know, for better or worse, this, your church is centralized right here in Wissanoming, whether you live here or not. Now, I was reminded of this this week. I've said this in the past, but I was reminded of it this week. Wissanoming, back in the late 1800s and early 1900s, Wissanoming had a nickname. You know what it was? The Holy City. Because there were more churches per person in Wissanoming than any other section of Philadelphia. I mean, if you walk around, Wissanoming is less than a square mile. Man, there's churches everywhere. So Wissanoming was known as the holy city. More churches per person than any other section of Philadelphia. What would it mean for those of you that live in Wissanoming or go to church in Wissanoming, what would it mean to rebuild that reputation? That you're the holy city of Philadelphia, that you're the holy neighborhood. That you're where the churches are, are vibrant and flourishing. That the spiritual life of the city goes through Wissanoming. Do you understand how that could be important? That was the reputation just 115, 130 years ago. I don't see why God couldn't do that again. And make this the holy city. The part of, the part of Philadelphia that steers the spiritual life. You know, Center City is where all the government stuff is located, and uh, South Philly is where all the sports stuff is located, 
Why couldn't Wissanoming or even the Northeast, the lower Northeast specifically, be the section that drives the spiritual life of the city? That the prayers that are prayed here are important. I would love it if Wissanoming began to be known as the holy city again. Oh my goodness, I would love it. I'd be a little annoyed that I don't live in the neighborhood anymore and it happened afterwards, but I'll take it. So, so those of you that are part of the Wissanoming campus, I'm charging you to rebuild that name. Right where you either live or go to church. To rebuild that name, the Holy City. That does not just mean make sure Truvine does well. It means to be praying for other churches in the neighborhood and supporting them. And, and we're doing our best to make sure we network and work with other churches in our immediate area. You got that, Truvine Wissanoming? Okay. Now, to those of you that attend the Tyson Ave campus, raise your hands real quick. Okay. There's obviously less because we canceled our service. There's enough. There's a critical mass. Take this back next week. Now, the Tyson Ave campus meets in Taconi, Taco, New York. Seriously? All right. Whatever. It meets in Taconi. Uh, Tyson Ave and Jackson, or Tyson and Glenlock, right there. We rent from Diston Memorial Presbyterian Church. We're right next to Diston Recreation Center and not too far from Diston Street. There was a man in the 1800s named Henry Diston. He moved here from England and started a, saw, a sawmill in Taconi. And he was a Staunch Presbyterian, which I think that's the only kind of Presbyterian there is, actually. A staunch one. He built the church that we meet in. Well, first he built a sawmill. And he started employing people and even immigrants that were moving to the country. He started employing them in his sawmill. Then he built a church right in the middle of the neighborhood. And then he started building houses for his employees and in, our, in the section of Taconi we are, all the houses face the church. He started a little community where he provided jobs, housing, and a church. And drew people into that. And, and it's actually called the distant estate. And part of his staunch Presbyterianism was to say that no alcohol may be sold on my land. And to this day, you can't buy any alcohol on that section, in that section of Philadelphia. So Nehemiah couldn't even, he'd be testing like sparkling grape juice or something if he was the cupbearer there. But here's what I think the charge is for Tyson Ave. We are meeting on a plot of ground that was dedicated to God. The whole community was built around the church. I think God wants to redo that. You know, I think that that, I think that God wants to kind of restore the original intent of the distant estate. Do you understand? I think in a lot of ways, Henry Diston was the closest thing to a Nehemiah that many of us will ever hear about in contemporary history. He literally built the neighborhood up. And he, and he, he served the social needs by providing jobs and housing, but he also restored the spiritual life in the neighborhood by building a church. So 
don't get me wrong, I'm not looking to hang a picture of the man or bring his remains into the church or anything. I'm not, you know, I'm not looking to make a saint out of the guy. But if he was the man that founded the neighborhood, I think God spoke to him and that part of our assignment in that neighborhood is to restore or rebuild where we live. And when Nehemiah went to Jerusalem, he didn't start his own city. He rebuilt the city that already existed. He trusted in the original intent of the founders and rebuilt and improved on where he lived. And I think that that might be what God is calling those of us at Tyson Ave to do. So for those of you that are at True Vine with Sonoma, the holy city, rebuild that. And for those of you that are at True Vine Tyson Ave, the distant estate, for lack of a better term, I'll try to come up with something cooler sometime. But rebuilding that, that vision of a community that is centered around the spiritual life that ministers to both the, the natural needs and the spiritual needs of its residents. You got all that? So, Jordan, would you come up and lead us in worship again? I really, I think, based on this passage from Nehemiah, we got to take ownership of that. You know, whatever, whatever area you live in, whether it's part of Northeast Philly or a different part of Philly or part of Jersey or wherever else, take ownership of where you live. That's my neighborhood. And then I want to challenge you to take ownership of your church. This is my church. This is where I will serve. This is where I will pray. This is where I will fellowship. Because we need people that will build the walls that care about the walls. You know, we need people that will build up neighborhoods that care about the neighborhoods. We need people that are going to build up a church that they care about. Last story I'll share, and then I'm going to turn it over to Jordan. Um, I, uh, before moving to Philadelphia, I was an assistant pastor at a church in New York. And I've told this story a hundred times. The church grew from 90 to 300 in less than a year. But a lot of other stuff didn't grow. Giving didn't increase, membership didn't increase, involvement didn't increase. We had more kids to take care of, but not more people to take care of the more kids. We didn't have more volunteers, we didn't have more money, we didn't have more members, we just had more people in the seats. That was really frustrating. We actually, when we went from 90 to 300, we didn't even add a staff member. We needed to, but we couldn't. So we just tripled everybody's work. What we realized that there were people who were married to the church and then there were people that were dating the church. And so we made a real big push for people to take ownership of the church, the neighborhood, the vision, the ministry. Without that, nothing gets rebuilt. So I want to challenge you to do that specifically with Sonoma to rebuild the holy city. Tyson Ave to rebuild the distant estate. So if you're going to take ownership of that vision, would you stand up real quick?
Lord, I will take ownership of, and then whatever the, the, the neighborhood or the ministry or whatever that he's putting on your heart, I will take ownership of, and I will join you in rebuilding it. So if you would pray out, whether it's your neighborhood or a ministry or a family or whatever else, I'd love to, I'd love to hear some of you pray out and take ownership of that.
our church as a sacrifice. say as a group of people who are willing to sacrifice to serve you where you've planted us you don't need another sacrifice that was Jesus but we are willing to make sacrifices on behalf of where you've placed us Lord sacrificing our comfort our time Lord in order that people would come to know you that our neighbors would know you that the people across the street would know you we, we want so we want to see the book of Acts. We want to see the book of Nehemiah, Lord. I get the sense it's not you that's holding back. You want to see these things too, Lord. So we, we take ownership of the assignments you've given us, whether it be to an area or to a people group or uh, to a ministry or to a household or to a block. We, Lord, we stop rejecting those assignments, Lord, and we take ownership and receive them, Jesus. Lord, I pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, real quick, before I dismiss you, would you mind giving Jordan a round of applause for helping us out there?